Welcome to Menu Feed, a bi-weekly podcast from Winsight Media's two food service brands, Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, Senior Editor covering Menu, Food, and Drink for both brands. This week, I'm sitting down with Spencer Rubin, founder and CEO of The Melt Shop, a 15-unit concept with locations in the Northeast. The Melt Shop evolved from best-of-class grilled cheese sandwiches and melts to fried chicken, mac and cheese, and wings, which brought the concept into the post-pandemic world. Throughout its growth, the new menu extensions had to fit this basic criteria. How do we melt Shopify it with big, bold flavors and other points of differentiation? Listen as Spencer talks about the evolution of the melt shop and clues listeners in to what's next. Welcome, Spencer. Thanks so much for joining me today. Pat, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. Well, let's start by telling me about your culinary journey to open the melt shop. I mean, how did your family and your childhood come into play and sort of ignite your passion to get into the restaurant business? Sure. So I, I don't know exactly when it started, but my, my parents say, uh, you know, I loved food since like the very beginning. Like even when I was a baby, I would like hum and like you could just tell I like really enjoyed the eating experience. And as I grew up, that that um, joy and passion kind of carried with me. And I started kind of gravitating towards the kitchen at a very young age and trying tried to help my mom cook. Um, and was really involved in like the family meal dinner process. Um, and my grandfather on my mom's side was a Holocaust survivor, sole survivor of his family, um, and was a huge lover of food. When he got here to America, you know, he kind of wanted to put a lot of that pain behind him and really just enjoy life. And he found a lot of his joy through eating. And so whenever they came over to our house or we went over to their house, you know, those gatherings were typically around a massive dinner table with way too much food. And um, those were, you know, some of my fondest memories as a child. So there was a, there was a big food influence from very early on. As I grew to be a little bit older, not that much older, but um, uh, my, my closest childhood friend, he also had um, his, his grandmother lived with them and she was an incredible Italian cook. And I found when I was going over to have plates with him, I would gravitate towards their kitchen as well. Instead of playing Legos or video games or watching sports or whatever, I ended up on many occasions spending more time with his grandmother making dinner in their house than I spent with him. And so by the time I was like pretty, you know, by the time I was, I'd say eight, I had developed some real culinary skills, believe it or not. You know, I was a home cook, but um, my my passion led me to develop some technical skills. And, you know, that's where I started to develop a real palate. Mm. And that kind of snowballed from there. I, I, I realized, I decided like at first I wanted to be a fireman and then I wanted to be a police officer and then I wanted to be a chef and like the chef thing was like my third choice you know over the course of you know a year of kind of deciding what I wanted to be when I grew up and that one really stuck somehow um so I you know I although I'm not a a chef by trade you know I didn't go to culinary school I, I quickly kind of took my passion for food and my desire to be around food and 
that really grew into my desire to become a restaurateur. And, uh, yeah. Well, it sounds like your passion really got you far, for sure. For so, sure. I'm lucky in that sense. Like I, I, got, I got stuck on something early that I stuck with. I grew up in Montclair, New Jersey. By the time I decided I wanted to be, you know, in the restaurant business, um, my, my uncle said to me, you know, you should be a restaurateur and you should go to the hotel school at Cornell University. That's the best program in the world. And that kind of really stuck with me. And so I decided from the time I was eight years old, that's what I wanted to do. I didn't have any family that were alumni. No one in my family was in the restaurant business. I just got like fixated on this idea and, and really wasn't going to let anything get in my way of that. So I started working at the age of 13, technically illegally for a local catering company because I wanted to build my resume and learn. Um, and from there, every year I was always working different odd jobs in the restaurant space. And whether it was a prep cook or a line cook or you know, helping out in the front of house of a local restaurant. I kept myself really busy with the hopes that by the time I was ready to apply for college, you know, I could get into my dream school. And so fast forward to when I was applying for college, I applied early decision to hotel school and I got in and, you know, that was a really great experience for me. And I went into school thinking I was going to get heavily involved in like full service, fine dining, white tablecloth type restaurants. And early in my sophomore year, I learned about Chipotle and like the amazing business that they were creating that was really, you know, mission driven, had really high quality food and food standards, but that was really trying to create something that was approachable and accessible to the masses. And I realized like that sector of the industry was like far more appropriate for my desires and my personality type. Um, because I mean, I'm a pretty casual guy at the end of the day, although I love a fine dining experience, I really wanted to be part of something that made like really great food accessible to the masses. And so I started to shift my thinking into like, all right, what are the skills I need to develop to get involved at a really high level and eventually start my own fast casual brand. And so that's when I started focusing my career on learning about restaurant development and multi-unit management and started working on leadership training and all the things that you, all the skills you need to have to really successfully launch and grow a multi-unit restaurant brand. So my first job out of college, I worked for a restaurant development company called BCD. There, I really had the opportunity to learn how to build a restaurant from the ground up, like the physical asset. Like how do you find the right location? How do you negotiate the, the right lease so you don't, you know, really hurt yourself from a financial perspective and you set yourself up for great future success? How do you design a project, bid a project, permit it, and then build it physically? with the right construction partners and general contractors. And so that was a really, I was really fortunate and that was really an amazing experience because I got that job. I graduated 2008 in May. I started working in June. Like I, there was like literally no time in between. And, you know, 2008 was the beginning of a tough couple of years, but the group that I was working for was very fortunate that they had um, some well-capitalized restaurant clients that were 
really well prepared financially to take advantage of what was going on in the market. And so I showed up when, you know, real estate prices dropped and there was a lot of vacant restaurant space and we had clients that were ready to grow. And so I kind of had to like buckle in my seatbelt and get ready to learn like, uh, you know, really, really quickly. And by the time that I was transitioning from that role to MeltShop, which was with uh, my old boss at the time, was involved in the creation of MeltShop and, and was an original investor. By the time I made that transition, I was involved in like 50 something restaurant projects and really like learned what was needed to build a restaurant location and multiple locations of the same prototype. Um, I learned how to do that from the ground up, was really, which was really valuable to me. Yeah, you really hit the ground running too. I mean, having all those projects at once. So that was great. Yeah, and so I think that really helped me get Melchov off the ground in the right way in the sense that, you know, I think, you know, you hear often that, you know, restaurants are undercapitalized and go out of business. But a lot of reasons they're undercapitalized is not because they had a bad idea or bad operators necessarily, but they use up all their working capital during the construction process and they never really have a chance to like perform because they're, they're out of business before they even start. And so I was fortunate and I intentionally, you know, chose to go down that path of, of restaurant development because I wanted to make sure I really understood the front end of this process. So I know how to put a dollar to work properly. And that opportunity grew into um, the opportunity to start my own venture in partnership with clients of mine and my old boss. And that's when uh, I started working on the, the Melt Shop brand and, and, and building that from the ground up. So what was the menu like when you first started? What were you know some of the core items on the menu? Great, great question. And I think it's like a, so interesting. It's such an interesting part of our story. Um, so Melt Shop started as a grilled cheese concept. And we really believed that grilled cheese was a great opportunity because there were no competitors at the time in the category. And it was something people were super familiar with. And it kind of fit like nicely in between the better burger category and better pizza, which were both kind of booming at the time. Right. So we're like, all right, how do we take, you know, that kind of canvas that exists for these other product categories, but make it into something new. And so we leaned in hard, um, but we realized quickly there wasn't, uh, there was a lot of demand for grilled cheese in the sense that like it was, if someone had a craving for a grilled cheese, nothing else would satisfy. And people would go get a grilled cheese when they had that craving. But the frequency of those cravings wasn't as frequent as that of a burger or a pizza. And so we were like, all right, if we want to really have a real strong go at this, we need to broaden ourselves up to have categories that people crave with more frequency. And so although we still make amazing grilled cheeses and, and, and melts are one of our core categories, we've really opened ourselves up into a lot of other categories that we think we do exceptionally well, that are built with incredible high quality ingredients, um, and that we feel compete with the best players in our space. And so we've launched chicken tenders and crispy chicken sandwiches and burgers on buns. Um, we've launched um, 
during the pandemic, we launched a virtual wing brand that's really successful for us right now. Um, we've launched a, a gourmet line of mac and cheeses, which we know are best in class. They're incredible. And so, you know, since day one to now, or from day one to now, you know, we've really transformed our offering with the goal of having something that's really great for everyone. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that kind of like, you know, they'll add and they'll add an item that's really just like a combination of all the other ingredients they have in their pantry to satisfy a different need state. We've really approached it differently. We've said, all right, what are all the need states we want to satisfy? And how do we make sure that we're building something that's truly differentiated and high quality in each one of those categories that we're, we're deciding to perform? In? Um, and when we can cross utilize, obviously we do, because that obviously helps simplify things a bit, but we look at it from both angles. We're not just saying, all right, let's just make something cross utilizing every ingredient that we have. Making something great is, is primary and then cross utilization is the secondary purpose. So you probably had to add some equipment too because grilled cheese sandwiches are pretty basic, but to do fried chicken sandwiches, you had to add fryers, I guess. Yeah, well, we've always had fryers. So we've always had, we've actually always had fried chicken on our menu since day one. We were, we had a fried chicken melt that's still on our menu today. It's one of our top selling items. And we had a fried chicken sandwich on our menu before a lot of places in the city, frankly, but it just happened to be a melt. Um, so we've always had a core competency of making really amazing buttermilk fried chicken. So the fryers always existed. What has transformed dramatically, um, when we first started the brand, we, we, we made everything old school on a flat top grill with a steak weight. Like I learned how to make a grilled cheese from my mom and she used to take a plate and put it on top of it. So it helped the, the bread that was in contact with the pan kind of really get a nice even crust on it. And so we replicated that process at scale by taking like a big grill and putting steak weights on it. But what we realized was it was incredibly hard to make a consistent product on that without timers and, you know, having like different sections of the grills, depending on the number of toppings and saucings, sauces got really complicated. Mm. So when we opened our second restaurant, we realized, well, sorry, let me take a step back. Not only was it complicated to have all these different types of sandwiches, we had four different types of bread and like 15 different types of toppings and things like whole grain bread browned and cooked at a different time and temp than sourdough and sourdough cooked at a different time and temp than white, right? So we had all these different complications from the variety that we had. But on top of all of that, it took a really long time. Like our, our, standard ticket time when we first opened was probably around 13 minutes, you know, or that, which is pretty significant. So not only was there a lot of variability in the product, but the time was too long. Like we were, we opened in midtown Manhattan, you know, people only had 30 minutes for lunch or less, you know, on your typical day, your average customer wasn't like excited to wait in line for 10, 15 minutes to then wait another 10 or 15 minutes for their food. And yeah. so we realized we had a problem that needed solving. And the problem was, you know, what sort of equipment process and procedure can we put in place that will allow us to create an incredibly consistent product at an appropriate time standard? And so I flew around the country. I talked to a lot of different manufacturers. I got 
demo pieces of equipment in our kitchen, really just trying to figure out what would solve that problem best. And I'm of the belief that cooking a really high quality melt with really high quality ingredients in between is arguably one of the hardest things to make because unlike other products where you're like cooking everything together or you're like just simply toasting a bun and cooking a burger or toasting a bun and cooking a piece of fried chicken, we're cooking the bread as if we're cooking a pizza. And we're also cooking the homemade piece of buttermilk fried chicken or the burger that's cooked to order too. And the timing of that sequence is far more complicated than say a Domino's or another place that's taking like a pre-cooked breaded piece of chicken and putting it on top of that pizza or a fried chicken place that's just putting it on top of a simply toasted bun, right? Like we, we, have, to, we have to cook the vehicle and the stuff that's going in it simultaneously. And so that unique challenge was something that um, we felt was important for us as Melchop if we wanted to stand out in the crowd because we didn't want to buy frozen chicken tenders that weren't special and we didn't want to create a subpar melt. And so we solved that problem through the introduction of conveyor technology, which helps us really um, produce everything at a very consistent time at a very consistent quality level. Oh. That was the bigger equipment curveball than what are the other pieces that have re remained fairly constant since we've started. Interesting. So you kind of reformulated the crispy fried chicken when it came time to launch the crispy chicken shop, which is one of your, I guess, pandemic pivots, something you created during the pandemic. So tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, you know, this business is about constant incremental improvement, right? You can never really stand still. And where we used to have 75% of our business in restaurant and 25% of our business off premise, we didn't really realize the quality difference that you saw in our fried chicken from in restaurant to delivery. But as delivery really, I'm sorry, as business really started to shift to be 75% delivery and 25% takeout during the core of the pandemic here, you know, we never did sit down, obviously, but there were still people kind of walking in and, and, and taking out. When we saw that shift, we realized everything needs to be built with a delivery focus first. And if we deliver on that standard, you know, our in-restaurant business will always still meet our, our quality threshold, right? And so we used to build, when we first were, you know, starting out 10 years ago, we were building things for the moment. You know, it's like you make it, you test it as if you're getting it, you know, real time. That's not how people eat anymore. You know, like it's 15 to 30 minutes before that someone consumes something these days. And sometimes it could be even longer. And so we felt that if we were going to be moving a lot of our business off premise, which is what, hap what was happening, our core SKUs especially, but all of our SKUs needed to deliver an exceptional experience for delivery. And we felt that our fried chicken needed some tweaking. And so we went about reformulating it. I mean, it was always great, um, but we felt it could use some improvements to be optimized for the delivery experience. And so that's what we focused on doing. Our crispy chicken, crispy chicken sandwiches, crispy chicken tenders, 
we think they're some of the best delivery crispy fried chicken in the game. It's all made, hand breaded, cooked in house, and you get that crispy texture, you know, now or as much as an hour from now. Um, and it was really built for that. Does it require special packaging to keep it crisp? So one of the benefits of being um, originally a grilled cheese concept, um, grilled cheese notoriously is a challenging product to deliver. Definitely. So from day one, we've always had like an, a maniacal focus on product inclusive of packaging mm -hmm. because we knew the grilled cheese would be very different if it wasn't packaged correctly. And so I remember even before we launched, before we opened our doors at the first location of Melt Shop, I would have focus groups of friends over in 20 different packages that I would either make myself or buy off the shelf and manipulate or, you know, get samples of from different distribution distributors and like AB test and see what created the best quality uh, melted sandwich or grilled cheese after a 15 to 20 minute window. And oh. so, you know, we were doing that before we opened our doors originally and we've evolved that thinking as we've gotten smarter and as our business has moved off more off premise over time. And so we have a fairly, not a fairly, a very competitive package for delivering these sorts of products. And our original melt shop box was engineered by me, was custom made and was built to deliver the best grilled cheese experience possible. And learning from whether it's corrugation, padding on the bottom to help support and create airflow or vent holes or paperboard versus corrugated paperboard or what have you, we really kick the tires on packaging. And I think we have a really strong foot forward there. There's still maybe a little bit of room to continue dialing things in like there is on anything. Um, but we have a fairly sophisticated packaging program of all basically custom packaging SKUs built by us specifically to serve that purpose. You are really way ahead of the curve because so many people tried to play catch up this year and you were there already. So that was definitely an advantage. For sure. So the crispy chicken shop was one of the virtual brands that you created this year. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. And then you also did the wing shop and the Mac shop? Correct. So are those operating out of current melt shop locations? Yes, they are. Okay. And um, was there another one that you tried that wasn't as successful? Yep. So we launched wing shop in April of 2020. So quickly during the pandemic, after we realized this wasn't a two week ordeal and after we, you know, we were really doing whatever we could to support in the community and make sure people were fed and make sure, you know, essential workers were getting meals and we were trying to chip in wherever we could. Right. We realized, you know, this is going to be around for a while. The end is not in sight and we need a revenue plan to call back basically everything that we just lost. And so that's when we decided to 
quickly test a virtual concept. And that's how Wingshop was born. In a matter of two weeks time, we built out the menu, got it programmed on, on 3P, put it into our native channel and just turned the switch on to see, you know, what happened. And we were able to deliver some pretty strong results right away. And so that's when we started to work on this bit of a pivot, which was, all right, let's stand up a, a number of virtual brands to drive incremental revenue until we see kind of what happens with the world. And so Wingshop was the first one that we put our energy into specifically because it was a category that we felt um, was complementary to some of our existing menu items. Mm-hmm. It fit our equipment package. It was something that was craveable, traveled well, and was frequently consumed for a dinner day part, which was where we were seeing the majority of our traffic at the time. And for all those reasons, we're like, this is a really good first test. Then we were like, all right, what are some other concepts that we think we could execute really well and that might um, you know, work within our operating platform? And so we quickly gravitated to cheesesteaks. I can't even remember at this time how we came up with that idea, but we did. And so we built out a cheesesteak program. We launched Melt's Cheesesteaks at the time. That's what we called it. And the results weren't there. We didn't see the increase in business that we were looking for. We were concerned about product quality because, you know, in this business, you really want to be moving food, you know, and if you're not like volume helps create, keep quality high. And so we were just running into some obstacles that, you know, we felt were kind of signs that this isn't the right category for us to be playing in. And so we launched it and closed it within six weeks. And, you know, I'm, I'm as proud of that failure as I am of this success, you know, I would be less proud to say, you know, we've been failing since April of 2020 as I'm talking to you and it's still live. So, you know, I'm, I'm proud that we remained disciplined. We weren't seeing, you know, we weren't hitting the KPI that we were looking for. And we were, we were um, humble enough to say, all right, let's move on from this one. Let's, let's take a step back, go back to the drawing board and refocus our bandwidth and resources on something that might bear more fruit. And so um, that's exactly what we did. And we took that energy. We, put time into refocusing a bunch of our core menu. We took time into building out a new digital app and web app to improve our native experience. Um, And we also took time to build out additional virtual brands. And that's where Mac Shop came in and Crispy Chicken Shop came in. And those are both doing very well. And we're getting prepared to roll those out from the three test stores that they're in to the remainder of our locations um, actually next week. Oh, cool. So one of the crispy chicken flavor profiles you introduced was Korean. Is that correct? So we have a Korean barbecue crispy chicken sandwich. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Is that a good seller too? Um, So that we actually launched on our core menu. Um, And one of the, um, like the main mission of any product we put on our menus, it has to be bold and it has to be craveable. And if it doesn't check those two boxes, it doesn't make the cut. And one of the things we were trying to really think about, especially as we wanted to kind of stand out amongst 
the crowd in the crispy chicken game is like, all right, everyone's going after, you know, just an original crispy and a spicy crispy chicken sandwich. Like that's what everyone's doing, right? How do we melt Shopify this? And so we were like, let's go big and bold. Let's go big flavor. And we can let all of them fight for kind of the simple version of this. It doesn't mean we won't do that too and execute that at a really high level, but we wanted to really jump ahead of everyone in terms of boldness and flavor. So we launched that with this amazing um, Asian slaw and it immediately jumped to like the top of our P-Mix. And a few months later, we actually saw Shake Shack launch a, a Korean fried chicken sandwich, right? So, and coincidentally, we also have this pimento and Mike's hot honey sandwich that we saw Chick-fil-A launch a, a comparable one just a few months later, right? So, about all of them. <laughs> so I know. you know, we're, we're really happy to see that we're kind of ahead of the curve on this, but, you know? So all that's to say, we launched those flavor profiles because we felt, we felt that they really were fitting of how we position our products and our product categories. And I think anyone who's had those sandwiches, like you can watch people eat them and they're just like, oh my God, that's the best thing I've had in my life. Like there's like this real emotional reaction that you see when people eat some of these new killer menu items that we've launched that, you know, people will eat at some of these other brands that, you know, I mentioned and they'll be like, that's a great product, right? But you don't see them just like melt in their seat the same way you do when you see them eat some of these these new products that we've launched. So I'm really excited about all of that. To, to, to bring it back to the Crispy Chicken Shop launch, the reason we launched Crispy Chicken Shop was to really help our core crispy chicken menu items stand out on their own and give people an opportunity that might not necessarily find us in a search on a third-party marketplace or on social or on Google. Um, an opportunity to experience some of our great, great culinary creativity when they're looking for that crispy chicken item that they are really craving. Because if, you know, historically, you know, if you're looking for that, Melt Shop might not jump into the top of that search function. Right. Uh, and so that's part of the reason we launched it and it's doing really well for us, I think our crispy chicken shop competes with any crispy chicken brand that's out there. And the feedback's been really positive. Right. Well, I have to ask this question. Are you having trouble getting chicken wings and chicken breasts now? Because there seems to be a universal shortage. Chicken breast. I mean, we're, we, you know, we've used the same skew for such a long period of time. We have a lot of that like locked in. Mm -hmm. Chicken wings, which we launched during the pandemic, have certainly been a challenge, but we've managed to, you know, work through those bumps in the road and our team has been very adaptable. But ultimately, the one thing we don't compromise on is, you know, quality, the quality and consistency in our process, mm -hmm. which ultimately makes a very consistent end product for our, for our guests. And so, Although managing that supply chain has been a bumpy road, our team's done a phenomenal job of like keeping the wheels on the track there. Great. But it hasn't been easy. No, I've heard that from a number of operators who you know are doing chicken. I mean, I've I've walked by um, wing wing brands, big national wing brands that say we don't have wings on the on the door. <laughs> you know, 
I've seen some stuff. I'm I'm proud to say we haven't had to do that as the small 15 unit brand that we are. Yeah. So what's next for Melt Shop? What else are you going to be doing going forward into 2021? I mean, right now, the focus is all on the team. How do we become a better employer? How do we be, you know, how do we um, ensure that we are, you know, giving our team the safest, you know, operating environment possible? How do we make sure, you know, that we're creating a dining experience that's, you know, truly safe for our guests? You know, that's priority number one right now. And I think, you know, this, the, the last few months, especially as, you know, the labor market has changed, you know, I think it's really opening a lot of operators eyes to the need to be the best employer that they possibly can be. I mean, we've always thought that way, but now we're really focusing on getting, you know, 10 times even more creative in terms of just making this the best place to work absolutely possible. In terms of growth, we're looking to build two or, or start building two new units by the end of the year. We're starting that search now. Um, I think when we're looking for locations, the profile will be a lot different than it used to be. You know, we'll be very focused on delivery radius and, um, you know, rooftops from that perspective. And we're going to continue to build out some virtual brands as we continue to see success with the ones we've launched. But the goal right now is really to just get back to you know, solid growth over 2019. are really close to starting to see, which is encouraging. You know, we're in arguably the hardest hit market in the country in New York City. The fact that we've been able to really close that gap, I think kind of really speaks to the work our team's done and the progress we've made over the last year. You know, we haven't taken a moment for granted and we haven't taken the fact that we're still standing for granted. We, we really, trying to use this pain and suffering as a motivator to, to, to make us better, you know, and we're really, you know, we really feel for all of our peers in the industry who are struggling right now or who, you know, have gone out of business during all of this because, you know, it's other restaurants that got me interested in this industry in the first place. Right. I think one of like the, the, the beautiful things about the hospitality business is like people are so caring and so nurturing and, and want to see um, their neighbors be successful. So although it's been a really uh, incredibly challenging run here, we, we've tried to use the time wisely to make our, our, our brand and our organization just, you know, exponentially better. And I think, um, you know, I'm proud to say, I think we've uh, accomplished that. Over the last year. Well, personally speaking, what are you most looking forward to as we get back into a more normal lifestyle? I mean, as a New Yorker who lives here, you know, I think I'm, I'm excited to see this city open up and, you know, you know, blossom into the next version of itself, right? Like, I think a lot of, you know, you saw the news stories about New York over the course of the pandemic and they were down on this place. You know, I'm, I'm excited to see this city prove all of those people wrong. So, you know, that on a personal level, that's something I'm very excited about. I'm excited to see, you know, my favorite restaurants get back on their feet here and those dining rooms reopen and see them get back to the levels of success that they once were at. And I'm excited to see, you know, a lot of the chefs and restaurateurs in the business that might have been sidelined from this thing come back with new and exciting ventures 
because this is a business made up of some of the hardest working, most creative and innovative people on the planet. And so, you know, I'm, uh, I'm always a big fan of the underdog. And um, I think you're going to see a lot of, you know, amazing stories over the next few years from, you know, what's happened over the last. And so I'm exciting to watch some good news for once, um, you know, as things continue to improve here. Thanks so much, Spencer. It's really exciting to hear about the evolution of the Melt Shop and your plans for the future. Restaurant Business has new memberships, including a premium membership featuring chefs cooking demonstrations. For a free one-month trial, register for a membership using the code COBE21. Please join us for another episode of Menu Feed as we explore more menu trends with chefs and operators. You can listen to this podcast and past episodes on Spotify. Music